Welcome to the Trying Again podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. This podcast tells a story of miscarriage, of the usually silent one in four. If you're new to the podcast, you are very welcome. You also might want to go back to episode one and listen through. It will give you an idea of why I'm here talking about baby loss. In this episode, I'll explore miscarriage from the couple's perspective. The conversations in this episode will be frank. It's very difficult to continue believing that you will get your good outcome um, when it just happens over and over and over again. And they may be difficult, but they are needed. You know, seeing this as a um, as a joint effort, I think it's a very positive thing. No one is perfect, and not all relationships last after loss. It's a very personal journey. Professor Ari Kuma Asari, director of the Tommy's National Centre for Miscarriage Research, touched on this in our recent chat. There is very clear evidence that um, if the DNA in the sperm has got problems, it can have fragmenta- fragmentations, little breaks uh, in the DNA, then that would increase the risk of miscarriage. It would more than double the risk of miscarriage. Many studies have showed this, uh, this association. Uh, so we know it's there. So the question now is how do you reduce the risk in such men who have got high levels of DNA damage in their sperm? We don't have any clear cut answers, but we do have some interesting leads that we are pursuing in research that we hope uh, would, would give some answers and would improve the chances of, uh, of pregnancy in couples in whom there might be a male reason uh, for the miscarriage uh, in terms of problems with the DNA of the sperm. So yeah, so this is very early work still, but I think this, is, uh, th- this has the potential to, uh, to help a lot of couples. And that must be really hard as well in this area of, re- um, of conversations with couples, because I think it must be so difficult to find people open enough to do that and keep their relationship together and not lay blame, point fingers, all the rest yeah. of that. that I can imagine yeah. that's really difficult for your team to navigate. <laughs> it, it is, it is. And yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of, I guess, natural, you know, to find out, you know, is the problem with me or is it with my partner or is it with both of us, you know, mm. <laughs> we, we would all want to know that. Um, and, and I think in truth, often, often, you know, there may be elements uh, of, um, some problem in, in both partners, you know, and there they could be scope for improvement uh, in, in both. Um, but I think it's, it's, you know, it's important to recognize it, it takes, um, generally it takes two people to, uh, to, have a, uh, to have a child. And, you know, we know that an embryo is, has half the, the chromosomal material from the uh, mother, but the other half is from the, from the male partner, you know, and so, uh, you know, we, we definitely need to look at the effects of male um, on, on the risk of miscarriage. And uh, we know that uh, advice such as, you know, limiting the amount of alcohol and cutting or stopping smoking and health diet and so on, aren't just important for egg health, but also for sperm health. You know, they apply to both partners. And so I think, you know, both partners 
you know, getting involved uh, uh, with um, improving the uh, kind of optimizing the conditions so you have a, a good outcome. I think it's a very positive thing. So rather than seeing this as a, you know, framing it as a, a woman's problem, and it's only the woman who needs to be investigated, treated, and it's, you know, she who needs to have the counseling, and it's she who has to, um, you know, make the changes. I think, you know, seeing this as a, um, as a joint effort, I think it's a very positive thing. Research conducted by YouGov was released to coincide with a film by UK broadcaster Channel 5 called Miscarriage, Our Story. The research showed 47% of people surveyed said they'd found it difficult to talk to their own partner about miscarriage. In the film, journalist Anna Whitehouse discusses her miscarriage with her husband, Matt. Uh, I think I was probably quite flippant in the first place about the idea of having children at all. And then I didn't realise how much I wanted kids until we started losing them. Matt and I were not getting on and we were so we were so disconnected. We'd been so ripped apart by this perpetual cycle of loss and this determination to make life and um, and we'd shut down from each other and I remember thinking in that moment, I keep thinking I want this family, I need this family, like I I was chasing something and I was like, my family is right here, it's with Matt. Um, it's not 2.4 kids in a white picket fence. It is uh, the man in front of me and I'm losing him every day that I am in this cycle of grief. I think it's very easy to get to the stage where miscarriage um, becomes the defining thing about your relationship. Um, particularly when it's recurrent, if you don't stop and make sure that you focus on each other and why you wanted to have kids together in the first place. If you've listened to episode two of this podcast, you'll know the journey wasn't very easy for Lee and I. I've tried to be as honest as possible about how difficult it was for us as a couple. The arguments were real. There's lots of reasons to why. Some of them are pretty obvious. People are different. Grief affects people differently and grief has no rules, boundaries or timescales. Some may be not so obvious. Women's hormones are raging through their bodies, causing all sorts of confusion. Partners can feel powerless. Both partners can feel blame and guilt. Both may also be unable to support the other one's emotions. And then there's the taboo and the usual silence around that grief. It's a tricky one to explore. It's also an important one, and so I reached out to some couples willing to share their story. This is how I met Justin and Ashley. Justin is in my podcast Facebook group. Him and his wife Ashley reached out to share their story with Lee and I. We caught up with them online. Found out we were pregnant in March um, and I ended up bleeding um, five weeks along into our pregnancy. Um, ended up calling my doctor and then they were, you know, saying, well, there's sometimes that you can actually bleed and still have a healthy pregnancy. I was hopeful. Um, but at the same time, I knew this isn't good. Um, they had me do a bunch of lab work. I think it was the next day. And um, they did not find a fetal pole or a yolk sack. Pretty much they told me that I was having a miscarriage, but my body was not um, releasing the tissue on its own. 
So we ended up opting to do the pill and hoping that would pass all the tissue. Um, that was very scary. Um, I was very nervous to take this pill. I was bleeding um, quite a bit. And yeah, this pill, I had to actually insert vaginally for six days. It was just, I was miserable. I was bleeding. But yeah, there was uh, pretty much no baby is what it came down to. All my hormones, everything was saying that I was pregnant. If I took another pregnancy test, it would come back positive. But there was like no baby. It was just like an empty sack. So that was a hard month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was tough. You know, I didn't know what to expect. You know, you read all these things online. You know, a lot of women don't talk about it. You don't hear much about it. So I was trying to reach out to a few friends, few doctors, but I didn't have any close girlfriends that I knew very well that had one. So I started reaching out to a couple of moms in my neighborhood. And sure enough, I think there's four out of six of us that end up having a miscarriage, but nobody talks about it. It's just one of those things, I guess I would compare it to like mental health issues, probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, I feel like society has gotten a lot better about talking about mental health and making that better and not so taboo to talk about. Um, but I think miscarriages are still kind of, I mean, obviously it's not a, a happy subject to talk about and no one, no one wants to talk about it, but if it was more prevalently talked about or more frequently talked about, I guess, um, you know, it would help couples and, and the women cope better with, with it if it actually occurs. You know, all these things and questions run through your head. What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Yeah. Or what did, what did I not do? Yeah. You know, should I have done something that I didn't? Or, you know, there's just so much. We had tried, I think it was like months, five months prior to that, every month. And we were super excited when we got, you know, the positive pregnancy test. And then it literally was um, like a week later, week and a half later is when I started bleeding after that positive test. And I was like, this is not good. Now what? What do I need to do? What did I do not do? And with COVID on top of that, um, Justin couldn't be with me in these appointments. Um, I was told I was doing all these ultrasounds, all the lab works without him. Um, to hear my doctor tell me in the office that you're having a miscarriage and Justin's on speakerphone hearing all this, you know, that was really hard. You know, it was hard to leave the office solo. Didn't know what to do, what to expect from here on out. You know, the doctor, I told her I want two kids. We have one. She gave me the green light. Um, she said, whenever you're emotionally and physically ready, you can start trying again. Um, so yeah, I ended up bleeding for about 25 days. I was actually furloughed for six weeks. So I luckily was home when all this was happening. 
Um, I had, we had sent our son Cameron to daycare every day. I didn't have the energy to be home with him, but I feel like I have, I think I coped pretty well with it after the process was done. You know, I don't know how just, you know, it's hard when it's my body that's physically gone through it all. I mean, obviously the, you know, Justin is dad, there's not, you know, it's like, what can he do? What can I do? Yeah, that's, it's such a helpless feeling when she's going through this and you're basically forced on the, onto the sideline and, you know, there's, there's nothing that you can do except, you know, be, be an emotional support, but, you know, you want to, you want to be able to do more. It's just, you know, I can't be at the appointments. You can't, can't do anything that it was hard for me just watching her go through this and you know, there's nothing that I can really do to help. You just feel, you just feel so helpless. And then I ended up um, after it was kind of all said and done posting it on to my Instagram and Facebook wall. Um, I had made a sign that just said one in four, one in four women miscarry. And I did not, I guess, realize that stat. I never looked it up. I didn't, you know. Um, so then I have a, a few moms in my neighborhood. We have this group text message going in. And they're like, well, I went through miscarriage. And I went through one at 18 weeks with my twin boys. And I went through, you know, so I didn't realize how common it was. And then after I posted it, that kind of was my... Um, I don't know. I was kind of relieved. The coping helped, I guess, getting feedback from other women that it's very common. I can call anybody when I need to. Um, it was very helpful. You know, I said not a lot of women talk about it. Not a lot of women post anything about it. Um, so I think actually posting it kind of put that, I don't know, chapter aside you know I'm not sure it just helped with me personally you know I didn't even tell my parents that we were pregnant so I couldn't even know how to say that we were going through a miscarriage now how do you lead with that you know when they don't even know that you're pregnant in the first place were you keeping it for the 12 weeks then were you waiting for the 12 week mark to tell family and friends you know, we waited until about eight weeks to tell our parents with our son. And, you know, I really wanted to get past that first eight-week ultrasound before we told my parents. Just personal preference didn't make it to that mark. Um, I couldn't. My mom is a retired nurse, and I know she would be asking me questions constantly. So I ended up texting all my parents and my sister, I, you know, and I said, kind of gave them the little story on a text, said, don't call me. I'm in tears. I can't talk about it. Just letting you know, you know, and they replied, please let us know if you need anything. We're thinking about you. And that's all I needed until I was ready to like call them and talk to them. It was one day at a time. Um, but the good side of things, we actually, um, ended up trying again, actually, that followed June and July. And I'm actually pregnant again. Hey, <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. 
Letters. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. So, um, you know, we miscarried in May. My body was back to normal. We tried in June, tried in July, got pregnant in July, and we are 11 weeks pregnant today. Oh, that's lovely. We're very happy. Everything is looking great. There's a heartbeat. We got to see that in an ultrasound. Um, it looks very promising. We're supposed to be doing mid-April 2021. How does that feel? Really good. You know, I get um, very anxious um, mm-hmm. thinking, oh, every time I go to the bathroom, which is more frequently than normal, I'm always paranoid I'm going to bleed. Um, but other than that, like I've, you know, I've thrown up and tired. I'm like, this is a good sign. This is a good sign. <laughs> all these symptoms i'm like happy which is crazy so it's like that within that first eight weeks um it was pretty it's pretty yeah pretty touch and go and i'd be at work and i'd see her call me or whatever and i wouldn't be able to get to my phone or use it at the time and you just got this like your stomach kind of like sinks Mm. you're like oh please please don't be Another, another I was just I was really you know after having the miscarriage was wondering would I have a second miscarriage mm. when you know my doctor is like you're in the geriatric because you're 35 <laughs> and over I'm like oh my gosh <laughs> might as well retire Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so I you know there's just all these questions and concerns still to this day I mean I will be like that the whole pregnancy so far, everything is looking good. Miscarriage, it happens a lot. I don't wish it on anybody, but it is, you know, it's not your fault. I have to keep telling myself it wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. Nothing you could have done to change it. Um, I just have to think that it was, you know, something wasn't right. And that's, you know, I took that in God's hands and it went, you know, something was wrong. So. So I'm lucky. Hopefully we have a good, healthy baby with this one. Um, I didn't think I'd get pregnant that fast. <laughs> um, but we are, we're happy where things are. And it's, it's been, it's been a ride. That side of it, do you think you managed to come together through this or do you think it, you've, you've kind of grieved separately? How have you, how have you navigated that? Um, I think it's probably brought us together. Yeah. It's definitely brought us together brought us closer um but i think we we each kind of coped with it or did our grieving process separate um for the majority of it um you know there there are times where we'd be together and you know but i think the majority of our coping happened just by ourselves um whether by design or by choice i'm not sure i think it was more by design just with my work schedule and you know anything that I needed you know I'm calling him texting him whether he's at work or not but um I just liked talking with women that have gone through it and what their stories and hearing their story and you know every story is so different so it was helpful to have women just in my neighborhood you know it was hard it definitely was hard that month was you know, I was so nervous. I was so scared. Blood like crazy. Ugh. Yeah. And every day is like 
is it slowing down? Is it less blood than yesterday? Or the nurse was asking colors and how much and this and that. I was like, <laughs> I want this done. Yeah. I want it yeah. to be done. <laughs> Have you got to the point of remembrance with your miscarried baby? No, I don't know that we're going to do anything specific or anything like that. But yeah, my sister-in-law said that she really wanted to give me a like a necklace with like little angel wings. Um, but I didn't buy anything specific for myself. I didn't we didn't have any type of a little ceremony or funeral or anything, mm, but yeah. um no kind of memorial. Um no. Um yeah, we didn't really do anything for it. Yeah. I'm sure I would have if there was a there was an actual fetus developing, but you know, because then I would have wondered, was it a boy or was it a girl? Like, I don't know. That's I think that would have made it a lot harder too. Um, I think the coping would have taken longer. Um, you know, it would have just kind of extended everything, I guess, emotionally and, and mentally for both of us, or at least for me, I guess I'm not gonna speak mm-hmm. for you, but for me it would have. The hard thing to go to. I ended up doing a like a miscarriage pregnancy journal with this. I needed to write it all down. I for whatever reason I wanted it on paper. Um I just me myself I like to document things and then kind of put a closure to that too. I have a little bin that I had originally that positive pregnancy test. Um, I printed this um, journal and put that in there too. Um, I had bought a, like a baby bump book. I was having Justin take pictures of my bump every two weeks. So I had a four week and a six week. Um, so I actually put that book in that bin as well. Just kind of like a box of that chapter, I guess. So I didn't even know about this bin. This is completely... <laughs> new information to me so um so yeah i guess as far as that the previous remembrance question there you go (laughs) i had no idea that existed i just needed some type of a closure so just to have that i don't know where we're gonna put it within our house but at the moment that's why it's been a couple months but um it's helped pregnancy journal has helped um because people have asked i want to hear your story and, you know, if I can help other women go, you know, when they go through this, I don't know. It's been, It was a rough road. It's a hard thing to go through when you're completely in the dark and mm-hmm. you don't have that, that information at hand. Coping as a couple was a topic that came up at the end of Lee's chat with Mike from episode 10 of the podcast. Lee and Mike invited Ellie and I to join them. If you've had early miscarriages, getting to that 12-week scan is quite an achievement. Ellie often joked about kind of getting to the the big girl scans. Oh yeah. <laughs> so going like progressing from EPAC to having your twelve week scan is a huge deal. It's just even things like getting your getting your um your pregnancy notes. You get your special book. I don't know where whether they still do those at the moment, but you get that book and it's got everything in it and you know um the what to do guides and things like that and. And just things like getting those, it just felt like it had you had graduated that you know that you've got a viable pregnancy. But I could never even take that for granted. Um, 
it, it just yeah it's just horrendous to to go through that sort of thing my my family referred to me as seeing the world through rose-tinted glasses and, mm. and I put it back to people actually that I'd like people to be able to see the world through my eyes sometimes because to go through this sort of thing and still have hope and still and still be able to to want to go through that and and try again is such a huge thing um and and it takes a huge amount of strength it really does um so you know i i know that <laughs> i know I, I can know some of what you might be feeling as a couple um and certainly for you rachel what you're feeling um as a woman going through that as well what was your strategy as a couple um for coping i've got this this amazing ability to kind of just harden and just completely kind of shut things out in in the midst of it um i think yeah uh, uh, that was kind of one of my big things and also just talking talking was a huge thing um we would talk and talk and talk and mm -hmm. and sometimes we'd go away and then come back and revisit things and talk some more and and it helped it it helped that I could share the slightest things from the most gory details of what I was experienced physically um through pregnancy and miscarriage and post miscarriage as well and you know just being aware of that um I don't think people really do share that I don't know um, you kept on apologizing to me you're like is it is this too much information is this too much detail <laughs> i'm like well we're going through this we are going through this together in some respect so if you want to share that with me feel free kind of i, I can take it i'm fine with it mm -hmm. if you need to talk about it then go ahead kind of we're, we're doing this together so yeah I, I think that you just you find what works for you as a couple I guess and what works for us might not necessarily work for someone else I don't, don't know but um I think the fight um the fact that everything was a fight was almost a distraction um from what felt like the inevitable through each pregnancy um but yeah I was told um in the aftermath of um of our first and second miscarriage together um, I was told by my GP who I hasten to add I did change um, that God willing I'll have a child um, when I was going in to talk about some pretty serious kind of mental health issues um, as a result of so many miscarriages um, and I was working in a social care team at the time where children were kind of pre-social services and um, so it's kind of family intervention teams and um, I was going into houses where children were being neglected where you know where things weren't great and and just longing for a child and it was just horrid it was really really horrid and you know the GP opened the door um, and shouted to the receptionist around the corner I think I need a talking therapies leaflet in here oh <laughs> 
like, what? I'm talking to you about a phased return to work and what might be appropriate for me in, in you know, the two weeks um, following a miscarriage. And just the, the having to fight um, was a huge distraction for me. And, and anybody that knows me well will probably recognize that I do like to kind of dig my heels in and, and you know, if I see that there's a fight to be had, then I'll probably do my damnedest to make good of it and the right <laughs> things happen. Um, but yeah, that, I think that was probably one of the big things that got us through, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we had we had that distraction. Um, but yeah, it shouldn't have been. And it's a horrific kind of byproduct of, <laughs> of, of, of it all. Um, but yeah. I think also before we had Aiden, our first child, we'd got to a stage where we kind of sat down and we discussed our options. And we both came to the conclusion that we just needed to make sure before we ruled out having children kind of naturally together, that we wanted to make sure that we'd gone down every possible route for us, available to us. We wanted to make sure that we'd explored all of our options um, before deciding otherwise yeah I think we got to that conclusion hadn't we yeah and also the adoption social worker had kind of said well you can't go forward if there's there's an option for you um, and at this point we were being referred in for the second time into the recurrent miscarriage clinic in um in Newcastle um which again was really difficult to to be referred into and um, much more difficult than it should have been um we kind of just had to struggle through um mm -hmm. everything um to get there throughout each pregnancy i had early bleeding i had lots of scares you know um and, oh god the anxiety and you know the, there's always been that complication something popped up on my facebook memories the other day and it's a picture of a chimpanzee um with a belly stuck out and all hairy and bloated and what have you um and it just says quite simply um i was promised there would be glowing <laughs> <laughs> I remember posting it um, partway through pregnancy with Sam and I remember feeling the way that I was feeling I was on quite high levels of progesterone I kept on fainting all the time um, and um, as well as the the anxiety and things like that um, and this ridiculous hair growth it was oh, it was awful like I, I just felt like some kind of yeti um, and I just remember thinking, I just want the pregnancy where, where I feel like I'm enjoying it. I just wish, I wish that for any woman, um, that they go through a pregnancy and actually get to enjoy it. It's also a topic that came up during the chat with Anjali Patel in episode seven of the podcast. In our chat, Anjali shared with me what she thought about the impact of her journey on her relationship with her husband, Ash, not their real names we've kind of pulled each other up when the other one's been down hmm. so there are times when I've just been in tears constantly for days and my husband's managed to pull me up and offer me chocolate or <laughs> let's get takeaway or let's get some pizza and there are other times when he's been down and I've known that and, I've, and I can see he's not himself and I'll try and cheer him up. So, you know, let's watch Top Gear or let's watch some football or something. Just take his mind off it, even though I hate Top Gear and football. We've had uh, separate counselling 
and we've had joint counseling sessions professionally. And I found those sessions quite useful actually. It was useful to having you know to be able to talk to someone who didn't know us, hmm. um, who just sat there and listened to what we had to say, and you know guided us through um, any awkward or any kind of really kind of upsetting feelings that we'd had. We were able to talk through it with with the lady who was who was counselling us. I think for me, going through those sessions made me realise that I'm not an inadequate human being. Hmm. that having a child is is something I've wanted but if that's not something I can have it doesn't make because of my body or whatever that's not something that makes that makes me any less adequate a human being that there are other things you other ways you can enjoy your life too and uh, those sessions helped me realize that whereas I hadn't before even though my husband would tell me continuous, continuously. And what's it like for you on Mother's Day and Father's Day? So before, Mother's and, Mother and Mother's Day and Father's Day were extremely difficult. Um, just kind of like we'd go and celebrate, I say celebrate, but we'd go and see our like mums and dads. So we'd go see our respective parents on those days. Um, but obviously it's, and I think one one Mother's Day, I kind of just shot myself away and just cried. Mm. I think that was in it, that was a couple of years ago. I just cried and cried pretty much all day. Now things are a little bit different. So whilst it was it was great having my first Mother's Day relief in, um, at the same time, I also felt a little bit sad because essentially. My other babies, which unfortunately passed away, weren't here to celebrate with me. And I think my husband felt similar. Um, so Mother's Day, yeah, it's it's special. And Father's Day, yeah, it's special. But at the same time, it's there's that little bit of sadness as well. Because, because it's another day that we remember what we've lost. I was also contacted by Ross. Him and his wife Katie suffered four miscarriages in a year. After undergoing tests, Katie found out she had high natural killer cells. Working with the charity Tommy's and taking drugs as treatment therapy, the couple welcomed their son Callum into the world in July. I kind of felt my body was failing what we were put on this earth to do. Um, and we, I think we calculated at the time about 80% of our closest friends were at the point of us going through miscarriages, were either pregnant or they had young children um, and I felt like I couldn't say that I couldn't get what I wanted um, and I felt yeah simply that I was just failing um, in doing what I wanted and what everybody else was doing and what everybody else had um, and <laughs> I think for me I'm not really the right word but um, I'm very competitive and so I don't like when I fail at things, um, <laughs> and as Ross just said, I'm a bit of a control freak. Um, so it wasn't something that I liked to sort of feel about myself that I was failing. Therefore, I was embarrassed and ashamed to tell anybody about it, really. And now it's a bit different. Now you feel like you are um, empowered more. Yeah, absolutely. But um, 
when we first started going through it, we didn't realize how common it was. Um, and that's because people don't talk about it. You, they say, never say anything before the 12 week scan. And um, then a lot of people hit the 12 week scan or don't even hit the 12 week scan and get bad news. Um, and they're afraid to say anything because it's such a taboo. Um, so now I've spoken out, um, I feel so much more strength in myself to say it, it doesn't matter that I so-called failed because I haven't. Um, even if I didn't have talent, it's not something to feel ashamed or embarrassed about anymore. I think when I first put the blog out, I was also worried about my um, work. Well, some of my people at work knew, but my team that I manage, um, none of them knew. And mm -hmm. even when I first put the blog out, I was still slightly embarrassed and, and ashamed of them finding out. Um, possibly because I was in a place of authority. Um, but once we got the reaction that we did, um, I then felt the confidence to share with them as well. Um, and since everything we've put out there, I've also shared through my work, which is grapevine as well, to make sure that we get the word out as much as possible because it's given me that empowerment. Has this helped you cope as a couple, do you think? I think going through the process, um, we got closer as a couple. Um, and we, I joined a lot of Facebook support groups, um, for recurrent miscarriages and things to, whilst we were going through it. Um, and I would see a lot of women on there posting saying how, um, they were sad that their relationship was breaking down over it. Um, but I think going through the miscarriages themselves for us, I think that brought us closer. Um, so then putting our story out there as, as a team, as a couple, um, standing by each other, um, just validated it even more. Yeah, 100%. I feel like and one of the big things that we found throughout everything that we went through, and uh, Katie alluded to earlier, probably one of the toughest things was that we didn't feel that a lot of people understood what we were going through. And a lot of our friends, because of the age we are and were, I guess, were happened to be having kids at the same time and starting families. So there's almost that sense of bitterness between us that uh, everyone else was having what we couldn't have. And so we, uh, unfortunately, and rightly or wrongly, we, we almost drifted away from a lot of our closest friends at that time because we just couldn't be there to be around what we couldn't have. And I think as a result of that, we just came closer and closer together because we, we couldn't be with the people we'd usually want to be with and so we just were more determined to be with each other and it was almost like we were the only people the only two people in the world at that time who understood what was happening and what we were going through and I think that kind of stronger bond has remained to this day that I honestly can say that we feel I feel close now as a couple than we ever were before and I think that's something that hopefully will never leave us. And what's been the most difficult part to get to this point? I don't know the, the hope that it, it would happen um it, it's very difficult to continue believing that you will get your good outcome um, when it just happens over and over and over again. Um, so it's, it's hard to keep the belief and the hope to get to this point, I think. Yeah, it's just that uncertainty about what your whole life leaves ahead of you, especially as, as Katie alluded to earlier. She likes to have a plan in life and know what's happening and um, you know to not know whether you'd have a baby in your arms in a month's time, let alone a year's time, was just brought so much uncertainty to your life. And you're almost on 
on tender hooks, not knowing what was going to happen. And for me, I think in one of the pieces we wrote, we alluded to it. It's not just that moment of the loss of the day that, that we miscarry and, and you have that grief. It's the months of trying for a baby when, you know, it wasn't straightforward for us, uh, certainly at the start, to, to conceive and the anxiety that comes over uh, every time of the month when you're waiting to see the, uh, if we've been successful or not. And then obviously as soon as you're pregnant, it's every single day for us after the first loss was torture, just wait and see if it would happen again. And so it was this, this current nightmare that we could never really get out of. And at the time I was struggling with my work as well. I wasn't particularly happy where I was. And it, yeah, there was almost no release for us in that respect. How did you get through that? Um, for me, it was focusing on what we can do. Um, so I did hours of research of um, possible solutions and um, tests that I should be taking, um, doctors who I should be seeing, vitamins I should be taking, etc., etc. Um, and so many people said to me, oh, you, you, you need to take a break and you take a break and relax. It'll happen. Um, and for me, that was the worst advice possible because it meant that I wasn't contributing to doing anything. And if I wasn't doing anything, there wasn't going to be an outcome. Um, so I needed to control what I could control. Um, so that's what the research and the continuing to trying for me was. But then I had my work that came like my my safe space that I went to work and pretended like nothing had happened the only people that knew of my work was my boss um and two close friends that actually worked at different sites so I could go to work and pretend nothing was happening and have a safe space um so those two contributing it that's what got me through it anyway yes, I don't think I did cope if I'm honest I think I probably um, I really, really struggled at times and I, I didn't really know what, um, my way out was. So it was only really relying on Katie. Um, and uh, I'm a runner as well. So when, when I was able to, that running was my release and my kind of escape from a mental health point of view. Though at the time as well, ironically, I got, I was injured. So there was quite a few months where I couldn't, couldn't even do that. And I think that probably actually, a large contributor to, to how I was struggling. And how are things now with, with it all? How do you feel about it now you have Callum? Yes, we've had our happy ending, but there's so many people that are going through it. There'll be so many people that can have the help and they don't get it, which is another reason why we're speaking out. Um, because if it wasn't for others speaking out, we might not have got our, our rainbow baby. Yeah, I think... For me, obviously not a day goes by where I don't feel incredibly grateful. And, um, there are, there are two things there for me as well. I'd say that A, there's an element of guilt. I know people personally who are, who are going through a variety of issues around uh, fertility and, and other similar subjects. And because I know what that feels like and I know what it's like when other people have what you want, I, I feel, I feel a sense of guilt around that. Um, and there's also uh, an element, I think, whereby with yourself, you then feel an element of guilt if there's ever a, a day that goes by where you're not particularly enjoying being a, a mum or dad. You've been up all night and kind of screaming or he's throwing a paddy or a tantrum at you and you get a bit frustrated. You can quickly catch yourself thinking, how dare you not be enjoying every single second parent? And of course, that's what, not what being a mum or a dad is about. 
you treat it the same as as every other person. But um, yeah, there's, there's an element of that at times. I think. These stories are just the tip of the iceberg. There are so many out there, blended families, same-sex relationships, and sometimes relationships break down. The Miscarriage Association has a leaflet on their website for couples called Partners 2. A part of it reads, Grief can put a strain on even the best relationships, and it may be hard to say or do the right thing just when you need each other most. This episode was recorded by me in my duvet den. The music is Small Bump by Ed Sheeran. Thank you to Professor Ari Kuma-Asari, Director of the Tommy's National Centre for Miscarriage Research, Ashley and Justin, Ellie and Mike, Anjali Patel and Katie and Ross. Miscarriage Our Story aired on Channel 5 on the 15th of October 2020 and was an ITV Studios production for Channel 5. At the time of recording the podcast, you can catch up with the documentary on the Channel 5 streaming service, my5.tv. If you're going through it right now, please know you're not alone. There's links to help available and to the film Miscarriage Our Story on tryingagainpodcast.com. If you've liked this, please share it and leave a review on your podcast app because it helps others find it. And remember to subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss an episode. You can wrap your fingers round my